I don't know what it is. I've done this so many times. But I get really nervous when I get up here, especially uh, when I'm going to be bringing the lesson. And uh, you know, we have several capable men that could be doing this. We, I mean, we've got uh, two full-time uh, ministers, and they just didn't show up today. So you get me. Actually, it was planned, but uh, I'm thankful for the opportunity to be able to stand before you. And um, before we start, uh, I just want to say that I just felt like I had to say that uh, I'm very fortunate to be a, a member here among you. Y'all are just wonderful folks. I mean, all of you. You're, you're, uh, you're just wonderful. Um, we've been here... I don't know, almost two and a half years. I will admit, there's some of you, I, I've talked to you very little and don't always remember your name. <laughs> but that's me. I've, I've got a good forgetter. But I remember your face. And uh, especially when I see you here as often as you can be here, um, I love you for that. I love you for the encouragement. And uh, I love you for your desire to know the truth and to want to understand God's word so that you can obey him. And uh, we, we sang that in those songs, and I, I can tell that we mean it because of the, uh, the fervor with which you sing. It's very encouraging, and I know that the Lord um, has been praised from your heart, and I appreciate that. And one thing I would like to do very quickly before we get into the lesson, if you would, please bow with me for a quick prayer. Our Father in heaven, we thank you so much, Lord, for everything that you provide us, especially for, as, as we have just remembered, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who died for us, that we might have the remission of sins, that we might be able to enter into that spiritual covenant relationship with you, that we can be called your children, and that we can look forward to an eternal home with you if we are found pleasing in the end. I pray, Father, that you would be with me this morning, give me strength, uh, give me the understanding of the things that I have studied. Help me to say them in a manner that not only is true, but also would be helpful uh, to those who are listening. And uh, we pray that you would be with all of us, that we would be able to be faithful to you. And all these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Now, normally... Um, I would like to uh, begin reading the text, and this is the, the text today, but uh, Ryan did a good job. I don't think we need to reread it again. Uh, you were listening to it, and uh, for me to read it again will just take up more time. But here in Acts chapter 19, at this time in the history of the New Testament, the Apostle Paul had completed two missionary journeys already, or preaching trips, if you will, and he was currently on his third. He started on uh, another one to be able to go and uh, encourage those who most of which he had seen before. Um, he had even been to Ephesus before for a very short time. And this is where, as you can read here in verse 1, that Paul came to Ephesus. He actually was coming back to Ephesus. And in Acts chapter 18, uh, just right before this, um, Acts chapter 18, we find that, uh, there we go, uh, we read that Paul was on his way 
back home on the second trip when he first stopped there for a very short time. He reasoned with the Jews in the synagogue, and uh, they, they liked it. They were interested in what he had to say. And they asked him to stay longer, verse 20, but he needed to leave quickly in order to make it to Jerusalem to get to the feast that he wanted to go to. But then, as we just said, he decided to go on a third preaching trip, primarily to strengthen those who had already become disciples. And um, that's, that's where we are. Stop and think about this. Paul is not the only one uh, traveling around the known world preaching the gospel. Uh, there were, and encouraging brethren, there were others who were doing this same thing. They were apostles. There were other converts. There were other men who were being sent out by churches like the Antioch church did in Acts chapter 13, uh, where, where Paul uh, had considered home base. They were going out to teach and encourage. But here in Acts chapter 19, Luke recorded Paul's second stop at Ephesus. And the reason why I wanted to talk about this this morning is because I think that there's a lot that we can learn from this short paragraph in uh, Acts chapter 19. So, as uh, having already read, um, we find that Paul arrived in Ephesus. He found some disciples whom he had never met before. He, in my mind, he's wanting to bestow upon them some miraculous power, some spiritual gifts uh, supplied by the Holy Spirit through the laying on of the apostles' hands. I, I don't have time this morning to go through all of that, but if you are an avid reader of the New Testament, you know that the apostles were given the power, no one else was, the apostles were given the power to actually be able to go and lay hands on people and impart to them spiritual gifts. They would be able to do things. And, and you read that throughout the New Testament, especially in Acts. You read that that was the case. Um, we find that Peter and John did that. And we read in, in chapter 8 about the story of the eunuch and, and or um, not the eunuch, I'm talking about uh, Simon the sorcerer, how he saw that and he was interested in that. But Peter said, no, you don't have any part nor lot in this. This is something that the apostles did. Well, you know, Paul, being an apostle, was one of the very few men on the planet who could actually bestow gifts simply by touching a person. And so... We find that, you know, finding some disciples, and he was on this trip to go back and, and to encourage. Now he's finding people. They're, they're supposedly disciples. But he runs into a little bit of a question here, a little bit of an issue. And so he asks them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And I believe that when he says, did you receive the Holy Spirit, that Luke is using a figure of speech. I believe you could, Luke is using a, a term called metonymy. And by metonymy, I mean referring to the person for what the person does. Referring to the Holy Spirit for the miraculous gifts that the Holy Spirit provided. And I think that's borne out in verse 6 uh, because it says, And when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke with tongues. See, now they got the power that the Holy Spirit would provide through uh, the laying on of hands. So we get back into the text, and 
they had not received the power of the Holy Spirit to this point. Not only had no one there been given any gifts before, they'd not even heard of them. Now, that's fascinating. That's, that's, I don't know, it seems a little strange to me that they had not heard of this, but we soon find out why. Well, if you were Paul, you might be wondering, well, wow, you know, they hadn't heard of this. Who taught these people? Who converted these people? Well, their disciples. Surely it wasn't an apostle, for he would have already given them some of the miraculous gifts that would help to further teach them and establish them in the truth, because that's what that was all about. They would be able to get these helps from the Holy Spirit to encourage them, to prove who was telling the truth, to be able to show that, hey, this is God's word being spoken here. You can believe it. You can trust it. And so we do find that Luke recorded that Apollos had been here in Ephesus while Aquila and Priscilla taught him completely or more completely about the gospel. That's in Acts chapter 18 before this also. Maybe he had taught these folks. But Paul didn't know these folks. Paul hadn't been with these folks before. He didn't know, and so he's asking these questions. Well, Apollos was there. He was taught the the word more perfectly. However, he left almost immediately for Greece, for Achaia, before Paul came. Perhaps he didn't have a chance, and it seems that if indeed these were his uh, converts or disciples, he didn't have a chance to straighten them out on the things that he had just learned. So, who knows? That's a good question. Not only might Paul have been wondering who it was that had taught them about Christ, but also exactly what had been taught because he didn't know. And if these people are having these questions, what else don't they know? What were they taught? What what were they not taught? And you know, this uh, same thing is true today. You can talk to people and ask them about spiritual things or ask them Bible questions. There's no telling what kind of an answer you're going to get. There's no telling what people know and what they don't. Lots of people hear things about Jesus and the gospel, but there's so many perversions. And I, I, I started to, to say versions, but as the scriptures teach, they're really perversions. And I don't mean to be uh, mean or ugly about that, but there are so many things that are twisted and changed and not spoken of appropriately or by using actual scriptural terms that it's easy to get confused. It's easy to come away not really knowing what God wanted us to know. So there's so many perversions and, and changes and there's so many different denominations and denominational doctrines out there. That if you're new to the Bible, to God, to to Jesus, how do you know which one you want to be a part of? How do you know? I mean, how can you tell? There's so many of them out there. What, What do you do? And I know many, many years ago, before I was born, my mother went through that same thing. She visited here and visited here and heard them teach and, and listened to what they said and, and, and visited more and more and more until finally she found a place 
where she felt that the things that were being taught, the things that were being spoken, corresponded to everything she could read in her Bible. And so she said, my search is over. I found the place where I need to be because what they say and what I read are the same thing. But it can be difficult to decide exactly what should, you should believe in today's world. There's so many different, different things. You could ask a hundred different people. If you stood out here uh, in, in the Kroger parking lot and you asked a hundred different people a question, you might get a hundred different answers. I talked about many denominations. You know, there are over 500 mainstream denominations in the United States and a lot more splinter groups of folks that kind of, you know, they say, well, we don't quite believe this little thing, so we're going to leave and go off here and we're going to have our own little. There are so many. And the thing that comes to my mind is they can't all be right. They can't all be right if there are so many different groups and so many different doctrines, so many different um, catechisms and so many different things that, that people are teaching. They can't all be right. And how can they? Because there's, there's only one gospel, right? And so Paul said, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. Maybe for their own fame, maybe for fortune. You know, there's a lot of folks that make a lot of money off of the Bible, off of radio and TV programs and, and now cable and, and online uh, streaming, you name it. There are a lot of people that make a lot of money. I don't know what's in their heart. But I doubt if there's much money to be made in teaching the truth or everybody would be doing it. So there are a lot of different things going on out there. And we don't know people's hearts. But Peter wrote that some folks just don't handle the word of God properly in 2 Peter 3.16. The untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction as they do the rest of the scriptures. So it's not just something that occurred one day in, in the not so recent past. This has been happening since the beginning of the gospel. And there are a lot of different things going on. That's why we've got to be very careful. You know, John wrote in his uh, epistles that we have to test the spirits. We have to make sure that everything that we're hearing and reading is actually the truth. And that something that I'm believing is not something that contradicts the scriptures. So it's very important that we know what's going on. Because there are some people that they want to understand the scriptures in a way that makes them feel comfortable. It, it would really be nice if I'm reading through the scriptures and I don't ever find it, what? You mean I've been doing this wrong this whole time and now I've got to change and do something else? That's a horrible feeling. So sometimes people just evidently through the years, and you can kind of see this throughout history, as some of these organizations sprang up and some of their very, very differing doctrines came to be. Well, it made some folks feel really good to know that, well, hey, I don't need to be in this crowd. I can go over here because, wow, that's what I like. Makes them feel very comfortable. 
Some people would rather just find that church or that organization out there that corresponds to what they currently believe because, man, I don't want to change. Or I don't want to have to, to, to think to myself, well, Grandma and Grandpa, well, man, they, they were just wrong. People don't like that. So it's easy to just do what feels good to you or what feels comfortable and you might ask yourself, well, man, how many ways can the scriptures be twisted and turned to scratch itching ears? 2 Timothy 4.3. Well, I guess as many teachers as there are who will do it. And that's unfortunate. And I want to, and I'm still on a little bunny trail here. We'll get back to our text here in a minute. But uh, I want to ask you a question since we're talking about this. Would you believe me if I told you that there is only one right way? I just said there are hundreds and hundreds of different religious groups and bodies and, and different teachings. Would you believe me if I told you there is absolutely only one right way? Now, some of you may believe this. Some of you may not. You might be thinking, well, what, what are you talking about? Well, you may not believe me. If I told you, but would you believe an apostle of Jesus if he said it? Because the apostle Peter did say it. He said it in three unmistakable ways in three different times within the same book, within the same chapter. That there is only one way, one right way. And that's very important because we need to make sure whatever we're doing I mean, it would be a shame for us to spend all this time and effort doing what we're doing day in and day out if we were wrong. Wouldn't that be terrible to find out, well, man, all that stuff that I did, it was just wrong because I didn't really look, I didn't dig, I didn't search, I didn't do my homework and, and really research to make sure. So what's Peter saying here? Well, Peter says in 2 Peter 2, 2, says that many will follow their destructive ways because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. Now, Peter didn't say ways of truth as of many. He said the way of truth. You know what that tells me? That tells me there's one way of truth. And all other ways are not of the truth. They're of error. That, that's, that's pretty hard, isn't it? That's some serious stuff. But Peter said that the apostle of the Lord. He didn't say ways of truth, but way of truth. All other ways are ways that they're destructive. But go down, verse 15. He said, they have forsaken the right way. He didn't say they have forsaken the right ways. He didn't say, oh, just choose a church of your choice, folks. As long as you believe in Jesus, you can do whatever you want. He said there's a right way, and some of these people have forsaken it. Well, again, that tells me if there's a right way, then all those other ways, they're just wrong. They're wrong. And then down in verse 21, it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness. Again, not ways of righteousness. He says there's a way of righteousness. So all other ways are not. They're not the way of righteousness. You maybe could call them ways of unrighteousness. Now, that's hard to hear, isn't it? 
You might be thinking, wow, you know, that sounds kind of conceited. Well, I'm not telling you how I feel necessarily about what we do here as much as what I want you to understand is what the book says. The book of God says this. Now, do I strive to be in the right way? Yes, I'm sure you do too. We want to be in the right way. We want to be in the way of truth, right? So we search, we study, we investigate things, we compare. It's a serious thing. We want to be right. Now, what about that question I asked you a little bit ago? When I asked you, do you believe if I told you that there's actually only one right way? Do you believe now that Peter said that? I hope you do because Peter, the apostle Lord, said it three different ways. And if you don't feel like you're in the right way, the time to get into it is now. Don't delay. The time is now, 2 Corinthians 6, verse 2. We'll talk about this some more in a few more minutes. Now, back to our text. I'm real good at following by rabbit trails. And uh, so let's, let's move on a little bit. Glad this isn't a Bible class because we'd have questions and, and conversation the whole time. I'm, I'm real good at covering, you ask Eric and Donna. I can cover one verse. Sometimes I don't even cover a whole verse in a Bible class. And uh, they can bear that out. But in verse 3, Paul asked them the most natural question that one would ask next. Into what then were you baptized? You, you don't know anything about the Holy Spirit? What's going on here? So into what were you baptized? Well, they claimed to be disciples. They claimed to be followers of Jesus. So what did they hear and respond to that made them disciples of Jesus? Can you see where Paul's going with this? What did they hope to achieve by being baptized? And you know, Paul, he, he automatically, when he thought about disciples of Jesus, when he thought about believing, Paul's mind went right to baptism. You know, there are a lot of folks today that don't see any importance in baptism other than, well, there may be importance, but not like salvation importance. A lot of folks in the world don't believe that baptism in water is essential to have your sins washed away, to become a child of God, to be born again. A lot of people don't believe that. There's other reasons for baptism with some folks, and and, uh, we'll talk about them here in a sec. But a lot of people don't see the importance. But you know, why else would Paul ask that question? That's a a good question. That's a good point. Think about that. You see, Paul equated when they believed with when they were baptized. In Paul's mind, the two are chained together. You heard the word, you believed it, what, you, what did you do to, to, to nail that down, to lock that in, to culminate your faith in Christ? Maybe you've heard of a church that had an invitation or an altar call and folks came forward to the front, to the preacher, uh, to one of the elders or, or a priest or someone to confess their belief in Jesus and they're pronounced saved right there. Maybe you've been in that before. Maybe you've heard of that. Well, Nothing else, just I, I, I believe, and then done, you're saved. And then a few weeks later, maybe even months, a date is set, and a baptism celebration is held to induct them into the church or to symbolize that they had already been saved or who knows what else. I mean, there are a lot of different things out there that you can read about. Well, 
this idea of getting saved and then being baptized later. Not trying to be ugly, but I've never read it in my Bible. Have you? It's not found in the scriptures. This idea, well, you're saved, and then we'll baptize you later at some point. That, that's not in there, folks. And, and uh, this, may, this may hurt a little bit, but the Bible is very clear on how this is done. And if you have a question about it, we can, you can sit down with any one of us and we can go through this. And we'll, we'll gladly spend the time and effort because we love souls. We want souls to be saved. We don't want Satan to win any, not one soul. That's not possible because not everybody is looking to, to obey the Lord. But if any way that we can help you, we will. And we will sit down and talk about these things with you. But no people in the New Testament scripture were ever saved first and then baptized later when they were responding to the gospel of Christ. For example, we don't see it in Acts chapter 8 with the Ethiopian eunuch. The scripture says, Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning at this scripture, preached Jesus to him. Now as they went down the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, See, here's water. What hinders me from being baptized? Then Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you're saved. Go on your way. Is that what he said? Jason's looking at me like, dude, what, what Bible are you reading out of? Well, I'm not. That's the point. That's the problem. That's the problem because the Bible doesn't say that. He said, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. So he commanded the chariot to stand still. And both Philip and the eunuch got a canteen of water and he poured a little bit out and sprinkled it on him. And, then, and that was good, right? No. Phil's looking at me like, dude. Come on. It's right here. It's right here. They didn't do that stuff. Isn't it amazing that a lot of people do things like that? But we can read what they did. And if I want to be a disciple of Jesus, how else do I find out what pleases the Lord by doing what they did? They went down into the water and he baptized him. And then it says that he went on his way rejoicing. Not before baptism, not before he even believed and, and, and heard the word of God, but after. He wasn't pronounced saved and told to go home to Ethiopia and wait for the special baptism ceremony. He believed and obeyed the gospel right there and then. Well, there's another example. We don't see it in any of the records of Saul's conversion experience either. Though many people are told that Saul was saved while on the road to Damascus. You've ever heard that? I've heard it so many times. Excuse me. In Acts chapter 9, we read, As he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him in, uh, from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you're persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Then the Lord said to him, arise and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. What we don't read here is when he said, Lord, what do you want me to do? The Lord didn't say nothing. You're good. You believe in me. That's all. That didn't happen. 
That doesn't sound like a you were saved baptism ceremony TBD. No. Luke recorded what happened next. It says, and he arose and was baptized. Verse 18. But in chapter 22, Luke actually records in Paul's own words, as Paul is describing what happened to him, the events which took place when he went into town. So we read there in Acts chapter 22. Did I say Luke 22? Acts 22. It's here. Then a certain Ananias, a devout man according to the law, having a good testimony with all the Jews who dwelt there, came to me and he stood and said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. Now somebody might be tempted to say, look, he called him brother. He must have been a Christian. Well, they're both Jews, right? And they were brethren. So don't let that throw you off. Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that same hour, I looked up at him. Then he said, the God of our fathers has chosen you that you should follow his will and see the just one and hear the voice of his mouth. For you will be his witness to all men of what you have seen and heard. And now, why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized. Ben, because your sins are already forgiven? No, he didn't say that. He said, and wash away your sins. I've heard so many times people say, oh, you know, the, Saul, he, he looked up to heaven, he saw the Lord. He was saved right there. Isn't that amazing that he can be saved? And yet, this prophet is telling him, dude, you still have your sins. And those two don't work. They don't go together. Ananias didn't say, arise, you're saved. Now go on your way, for you can be baptized some other day. He didn't say that. He said, why are you waiting? Why tarriest thou? And he considered Saul to still have his sins because they needed to be washed away. I'm not saying that the, the water does anything. Peter answered that, right? 1 Peter 3, verse 21. It's not washing away like, like you get your hands dirty and you're washing it off. Baptism is an obedient act where when we do that, the Lord says, okay, you're obeying my, my gospel. I'm removing your sins. I'm making you clean. That's what Titus said the Holy Spirit does. The washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Spirit. But see, we have to submit to God's will. The Apostle Paul himself never taught that a person was first saved and could be baptized at a later, more convenient time. Paul viewed their baptism as happening concurrent with when they believed. And you know how I know that? Because we see an example of that happening in Acts chapter 16. In Acts 16, just a little bit before this in the, in the second journey. Here he is with the, uh, the jailkeeper at Philippi, the Philippian jailer, as we uh, typically call him. And it wasn't until after he and his family heard the gospel and subsequently submitted to water baptism that the scriptures say, he believed in God with all his house. Acts 16. And he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? So they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. Now he didn't stop there and say, You're saved, we're done. Because the man hadn't even heard the gospel yet. So it says, then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. 
What does yours say? They, they all said the sinner's prayer and, and they were good. No. He took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes. That's, that's the jailer trying to fix them up, trying to make amends for, for what happened to them. And immediately, he and all his family were baptized. Now, when he had brought them into his house, he set food before them, and he rejoiced, having believed in God with all his household. You see that? It wasn't believe now, be baptized later. It was, we need to do this. This is a part of the program. We need to do this. And it was evident that their preaching referred to baptism. Why else would the guy say, man, let's go. I, I, we need to be baptized. Had their preaching of the gospel not mentioned it. See, that's, that's very evident. It should also be evident that people are not saved at the point of faith before or even totally without baptism. For Jesus said in uh, Mark chapter 16, oh yeah, I wanted to highlight the, uh, what happened in between here. The word was spoken. They were baptized. There we go. So I've got these little marks on my paper that tell me when to do the thing. And uh, sometimes I don't, I don't listen to my own notes. What happened? Where did we go? There we go. That's what I want. Jesus said, he who believes and is baptized will be saved. Do you believe that? Now, there's a lot of folks that make a big deal about why didn't he say, but he who does not believe and is not baptized will be condemned. He didn't have to. Because in all these examples, they heard the word, they believed it, and they went and immediately were baptized. If they didn't believe it, why in the world are they going to go down to the river and, and, and say, well, I didn't believe any of that jazz about this whole Jesus thing. But I sure would be happy if you dunked me in water and got me wet. Eh, that doesn't make sense either, right? That, that's not an argument. The point is, Jesus said, if you're lost, what do you need to do to be saved? Believe and be baptized. That's the person that will be saved. And Jesus didn't even mention repentance, confession. Any of that's, those are mentioned elsewhere. But he simply says, look, you believe and baptize. This is what you got to do. You want to be saved, this is what you got to do. Those other things come. So, let's, let's jump back in to, uh, to where we were. Paul asked them, into what then were you baptized? And they said, into John's baptism. Now, what about John's baptism? What was it for? Was, was it good enough? First of all, what was it for? John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. For those Jews who were willing to repent and turn back to God because they were in a miserable state in the early first century and, and when John was out there teaching and trying to get these people to come back to God. And it was an act of preparation for the coming Messiah. So that's what it was for. But secondly, was it good enough for these folks? And uh, you might ask the question, can I do that today? Can I just follow John's baptism? Well... What this sounds like is that these people had been baptized into John's baptism after John's baptism had been replaced with the baptism of the New Testament church, which was into Christ. In other words, after the Messiah had come, the people in John the Baptist's day, Jesus wasn't the Messiah. He didn't do his thing. He didn't fulfill um, the, the life-saving, redemptive act 
He wasn't the propitiation for sins yet. We could, we could say that in a bunch of different ways. He hadn't uh, been to the cross. Well, these people evidently heard John's baptism, but they hadn't heard the baptism into Christ. They evidently weren't baptized into Christ. So John's baptism was only good for the interim period before Christ died on the cross. Before Christ was crucified, they couldn't be baptized into him, right? Or into his death, as we'll read in a little bit in Romans chapter 6. But after Christ had done his redeeming work, John's baptism would be rendered moot. You see, after Christ, people are baptized into Christ. Romans chapter 6. And it reads thus, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. Now, now take, a, take a little step back here. Paul's not teaching these people what to do. They've already done it. They already know. So that's, that's why it sounds like it does. They've already done this. He's reminding them. And so he says, how shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death. You see, you couldn't do that in John's baptism. This is the baptism into Christ. This is the baptism that the New Testament church taught. These folks had missed that boat or that bus, and they needed to get on it. That just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. He's saying if you've been baptized into Christ, think of this, you're buried with him. So it's like being buried, you're dead. He says you are raised up just like you would be raised up out of the water of baptism, a new creature, your sins are forgiven. He says you can be expecting to have that resurrection just like Christ rose from the dead. We have a spiritual resurrection. We are a new creature now. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, not literally, but through baptism. He's teaching, he's using this symbology here that the body of sin might be done away that we should no longer be slaves of sin. So this is what happens when a person who hears and believes the gospel submits to water baptism. And Paul said they had done that. They need to not forget that. Evidently, these folks are having problems trying to figure out, well, was our sin covered or not? Can, can, can we continue doing what we did before? How does that work? And he's trying to teach him, no, you're a new creature now. You were born again. You need to live like you've been born again. Don't go back to the old sinful self. But anyway, this is how we get into the special relationship with Christ, where we have remission of sins and are saved. So let me summarize what we have learned so far from these scriptures. Keep up with my little green uh, lines here. Okay. Baptism should take place immediately upon one's hearing, believing, and truly accepting the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why? This is the point that I'm trying to help you to see. Because you haven't fully believed in God until you've been baptized. 
Why? Well, well, we read that. Nobody rejoiced before they were baptized because they knew there wasn't a, a, a reason to rejoice yet. They weren't done. They heard, they believed, they were baptized, they rejoiced. Okay? That's a pattern that we see in, in those who it actually tells us that, that they rejoiced and when. Secondly, the believer isn't truly saved until he has been baptized. Why? Well, we've read that in several instances. They didn't stop. They didn't listen to the gospel. Hmm. Yeah, that seems to make sense. And, the, and they just quit, and that's all they did. No. Because remember what Jesus said. He who believes and is baptized shall be saved. Well, we also saw that Bible baptism is into Christ. It's how we get into Christ. It's how we get into that relationship with Jesus. It's how we make him our Lord and we become a child of God. Bible baptism is into his death where his blood was shed. You know, Revelation 1 verse 5 says, He washed us from our sins in his own blood. Well, how do I get my sins washed away? How do I contact the blood of Christ? The blood of Christ was shed in his death. Where did Paul say in Romans 6? I get to contact that in the water of baptism. Bible baptism is to wash away sins. That's what Saul of Tarsus was told, who later became Paul, the apostle. He was commanded to do that. Bible baptism is a burial, as we read there in, in uh, Romans chapter 6 as well. You were buried with him. There we go. And he also said, it is where the old man of sin is crucified and sins are done away. To me, that's very important. If I want to become a child of God, if I want to get into this fellowship relationship with God, if I want to be a new creature, I need to be baptized in water for the forgiveness of my sins. That's very important, and that's why we're talking about this today, because so many people are told other things and other ways, and uh, it's just not right. So let me ask you, let me ask you, what about your baptism? There are some visitors here today. I don't know you. You don't know me. There are some folks here that, that have been listening to the preaching of the gospel for a long time, maybe not yet have obeyed the gospel what about your baptism? Into what? What was the reason? What was the purpose for you just saying either you did something or maybe you didn't do anything yet? If you're thinking to yourself right now, evidently I need to hold this up. If you're thinking to yourself, I was baptized when I was a small child and I really don't remember why I was baptized. Are you okay with that? Are you good with that? Is, is, is that fine? Or is it worth your eternal soul to take the chance that you might have, maybe, possibly, perhaps, did it right all those years ago, and eh, we're just going to let it ride? I don't know, that's a scary thought. That if you can't be sure, if you can't really know, are you okay with that? Somebody else might say, well, my parents had me baptized as an infant. Folks, baptism can only be obeyed by those who understand what they are doing and why. 
We didn't see any infants being baptized here. We haven't read about them. And there's a lot of stuff that we hadn't read, but it's not in there. If you find it, you let me know because I've missed it for a long time. And so have a lot of these other folks. It's just not there. Baptism can only be obeyed by those who understand what they are doing and why. Can an infant hear and believe the gospel? No. Can an infant repent of their sins? No. That begs the question, does an infant have sins? Boy, that's, that's another lesson totally in its own right. I, I say no, based upon what I read. Can an infant confess Christ? No, they can't even understand anything that's going. I've got an almost two-week brand-new grandson. I'm a quaternary grandfather. If, yeah, I got four. So I must have heard Leland say that. I don't know. But anyway, that kid... It can cry, sleep, eat, and do the other thing and look really cute, and that's about it. That boy can't say, oh, I believe. He probably doesn't even understand much of what he's hearing. Furthermore, sprinkling or pouring like they do to most infants does not constitute baptism. Remember, we read baptism is a burial. When's the last time you went to the cemetery and they were getting ready to bury someone and the guy comes up with a little bucket of dirt and says, okay, you're good. Or maybe he just pours the bucket of dirt on there and says, okay, we're done, let's go. Ah, we know better than that. And baptism, the word itself, means a, an immersion, a submerging. It's a burial. These folks went down into the water and came up out of the water. And so if your baptism wasn't in the water, like all these examples we read... It, it probably wasn't Bible baptism, right? You think? Well, what about number three? Somebody says, I was baptized to please my parents or, or my grandparents or my friends. Man, that's no reason to be baptized. That might be a reason to like mow the yard without somebody asking you or take the dog for a walk or something, but that's no reason to be baptized. If it wasn't for a scriptural reason, then did it accomplish what the scriptures teach? Or did you just get wet? How about letting us baptize you in order to please the Lord, to obey the gospel? Because if that's what you want to do, well, we can help you with that. Absolutely. Well, somebody else might say, well, I got baptized because I was saved. Well, I, I, I thought we covered that already. And you may not be sure. You might have been told that. Somebody might have told you, okay, you're already saved. And so, yeah, in, uh, in six weeks, we're all going down to the river. We're going to have a baptism party. And uh, again, I challenge you, find that one person in, in the scriptures that was saved first and then baptized later. You're going to have a hard time. Baptism in the name of Jesus Christ is unto, as the American Standard puts it, not because of. The remission of sins, Acts 2.38. Paul was told to arise and be baptized and wash away your sins. We read it. I alluded to this before, 1 Peter 3.21. Peter said, the like figure, oh, it'd help if I'd start hitting these buttons. Uh, the like figure whereunto even baptism doth also now save us. There it is. So if baptism is a part of what saves me, Man, I, I better do it. I better do it. Not because I thought I was already saved. 
And, and one more before we go. I know you're, you're probably ready to have Dave, David and Leland come back. But somebody might say, I was baptized into the fill-in-the-blank church. Whatever denomination or group it was, you might be thinking, well, you know, I was already baptized. And um, shouldn't that be good enough? Well, we already read that one is baptized into Christ. Right? The scripture taught that. You're baptized into Christ, not into men. At baptism... The Holy Spirit puts us into the body of Christ, his church. I think I remembered to hit this. Let me hit it. There we go. The scripture says, for by one spirit, we are all baptized into one body. Right? We're all baptized into the body of Christ. I'm not just baptized into some XYZ group over here because that's what they do. That doesn't work and that's not what they did here. But Acts chapter 2 and verse 47 also teaches... After these people were told by Peter in Acts 2.38, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the Holy Ghost, and so on and so forth. We go down to verse 47. It says, they heard the preaching, they obeyed the gospel, and then at the very end of that paragraph, and the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. They obeyed the gospel. They were saved. And God added them to the church, the one and only, his church. And if that church is not the one you can read about in the Bible, do you really want to be in it? I'm serious. Do you really want to be in that, whatever that was? May I ask you again, into what were you baptized? If you were not baptized according to the teachings of Christ, our plea for you is to follow the examples, the things that we have read, follow the gospel of Christ, and follow what they did. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. You may be unsure. You may not know. You might think, well, maybe I could have. But folks, you can be sure today. You can determine how you go to bed tonight and how well you sleep by knowing that you did what the scripture tells you to do. They didn't hesitate they didn't hesitate to obey the gospel. They made certain that their baptism was acceptable to the Lord. Why won't you do that today? Let us help you do that right now while we stand and sing this song.